welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Hello, and welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast with your hosts, Mackenzie and Micah. Today, we are looking at section 2B of the book, Traditional Quaker Christianity, which asks the question, are the scriptures necessary for, or essential for salvation? If you know about Betteridge's Law of Headlines, which states that anytime a headline asks a yes or no question, the answer is no, then you are at this point going, gasp, uh, if you're a certain variety of Christian, at least. Um, so uh, in keeping with Betteridge's Law, yes, the, uh, the chapter does answer that question with no, they're not essential, and then adds a whole bunch of caveats onto it, which I was just saying to Micah seems like it's trying to steer, you know, it's, it's steering a middle path between yes, absolutely, you have to have the scriptures in order to be saved, and uh, no, who needs that? It's some old bunch of writings from like 2,000 or 5,000 years ago or whatever. Right, and this and this is why, um, th- this is one of the areas where people uh, get the idea that uh, conservative Quakerism as represented by Ohio, Ohio Yearly Meeting, which wrote this book, uh, sort of represents a middle path in Quakerism. For reasons I won't go into, I personally don't think that's quite accurate, but I see why people get there. Because within Quakerism, there's, there are quite a lot of people who feel that uh, the scriptures are necessary, meaning like if you don't have the scriptures, you can't really have a relationship with God. Um, and there are plenty of other people also in Quakerism who think that the scriptures are basically not necessary. And, you know, if we got rid of them and got rid of any knowledge of the scriptures, we would still have, you know, it would still be perfectly fine. We'd have, you know, just as easily have a relationship with God. So for, for folks in Ohio, really mean to emphasize that they are not necessary, strictly speaking, but yet they are very important in practice is sort of a middle way. And actually useful is a word that they use in here. Mm-hmm. About half of the chapter is a quote from Terry Wallace's Scripture and Salvation to those who say that the scriptures are inessential to our salvation. Um, and Terry Wallace is a guy from Ohio Yearly Meeting. Um, it also references Barclay's Apology, Proposition Number 3. Um, you know, they have, uh, several points in here, and I'm going to summarize them shorter than what they're written. The first one is that, um, sorry, they, they have, they have four points that are the dangers of, um, veering too far into, eh, you don't need it, which are, uh, number one, that you can become too centered on your own individual experience and then um, discount other people's experience or expect theirs to be identical to yours. Um, the uh, number two is that um, you have to be careful about exactly how you say things so that people don't get the wrong idea or um, because as, as they're pointing out that um, in general society, a lot of folks aren't really big on the Bible, right? Um, obviously, we live in a secular society where only something like two-thirds of um, America are Christian. I don't know about other countries because I don't memorize that kind of statistics. Um, <laughs> but um, his point number two is concern that um, we could feed into a narrative that uh, he thinks is wrong. Um, the third one is that um, he says that you don't that that while you don't need to have the scriptures that 
you don't want to at the same time pile the gospel on with that um you know thinking of mixing the ideas of the gospels as in matthew mark luke and john versus the idea of the gospel that um you know the kingdom of god is at hand or um christ is here to teach his people or you know jesus's life and the fourth one he gives is that um well actually they're they're useful so um why would you want to throw away something that's actually kind of useful to you that's a good tool that's very interesting because i mean what i hear you saying there mckenzie is is from from his perspective is that essentially maybe the scriptures aren't strictly necessary but the gospel is in the sense of the gospel story like at the end of the day to know jesus we have to have heard of him uh would you think that's that's fair to what he's saying I think that he, I think that Terry is saying that in his point three, um, because he says we should not imply that the gospels and the words of our Lord are quote unquote inessential, that the Lord's life, crucifixion, sacrifice, and resurrection are not required. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, uh, earlier in the chapter before they start quoting him, um, they are talking about people who um, have been, you know, how, how in the Old Testament you see um, salvation for some people, despite Jesus not having been born yet, right? Like Abraham. Right. And um, we see that mentioned in Barclay's Apology as well, the idea that there are people all over the world who have um, experienced salvation despite not having um, any access to knowledge of Jesus. Um, you know, Barclay's Apology was written in, what, the 1690s? And, yeah, there were a lot of places in the world that had not yet had any sort of Christian missionaries um, and Barclay is making the case in there that, um, we should not just assume that, you know, everybody has been unsaved because they, uh, had the, I guess from his perspective, bad luck to, you know, be born in the middle of the Amazon rainforest or wherever. Right. The bad luck to have not had access to the story. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, and I and I, you know, the, one of one of one of my favorite stories from Quaker history is, and I think it's a lot of people's one of their favorite stories, is the story of William uh, Penn, who, when he uh, was first in Pennsylvania, went out to um, was, was it Penn or Woolman? Am I mixing this up? I don't know. I don't know which okay. story you're telling. I thought it was Penn. <laughs> I thought it was Penn, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering whether it's Woolman. I think it was Penn though. Um, Penn went out into the wilderness. So the 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 major the major tribe near uh, the Pennsylvania colony where the Lenape, um, mm-hmm. and I, I do believe it was Penn, um, went out to meet with the Lenape. Um, which Actually, was, I think you might be telling a fox story. Was it fox? Um, I think it was, are you talking about the one that asks, is there within thee that reproves thee when nope. thee does evil? Well, maybe. Not that one? Uh, I'm, that may have been the same story. But anyway, to our listeners, if I'm getting this wrong, please email us and correct us, because I want, now I want to, I'm going to have to look this up after the episode. But anyway, it's not really important who did it, whether it was Fox or Penn or Woolman. Some Quaker, um, and I think it was Penn, uh, went out to the Lenape to meet with them, which was sort of un- unheard of because it was pretty tense sometimes. Um, but he went out to the Lenape, and they, uh, they had a worship meeting together. Um, and uh, Penn, or whoever it was, got up, uh, and gave a prayer uh, in English. Uh, they had a train. It's woman. It's woman. Okay. All right. Woman. Uh, he he gives a prayer in English, and it's not translated. Um, and later, through their interpreter, uh, the the one of the one of the Lenape leaders says to him, 
you know, uh, I love to hear where the words come from, implying that even though he could not understand the literal English that woman was saying, he could feel the spirit behind it. Um, and I think I think that's that that's sort of uh, an, an idea of sort of the original Quaker universalism, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the idea that, that that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are present everywhere and able to speak to anyone everywhere, even if we don't share the same cultural customs, even if we haven't heard the same story about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but now I I think I think Woolman and and Penn and Fox and all the others. Uh, would have also, you know, would the would have been the first to say, um, it is so wonderful that that we Quakers do actually have the 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 gospel story, the stories about Jesus, and that we can share those with the Native Americans because we will, you know, we believe that these are, while not essential for salvation, extremely helpful in understanding who it is that the Lenape and other Native American uh, people have been in relationship with already, without knowing. Uh, specifically, the the story of of Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection. So this idea of you know you can you can know Jesus and not know it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. That that the name isn't as important. Or that it's not that's not essential for salvation. Let's put it that way. You know, and right. yeah, and again, like uh, just with you know within the Quaker community, uh, there's you know a lot of a lot of uh, different perspectives on this. You know, I'm personally one who leans who leans to the side of saying like, well, I agree, I agree with the you know the folks in a high yearly meeting that the scriptures are not essential. And and when we talk about salvation, I don't really know what that means a lot of times. So for me, when I talk about salvation, I mean like uh, salvation is is really being in, in a completely whole. And and and, uh, and and restored space with God and being in a relationship with God like God wants me to be in a relationship with Him. Um, so with that definition out of the way about what salvation means, I don't I don't believe I don't believe that it's necessary. I do not believe it is strictly necessary to know the stories about Jesus to have that kind of relationship with God. However. Um, it's it's hard it's hard for me it's it's hard for me to imagine that it would not be helpful to know um, sort of the story behind the experience and and to and to know how God um, has acted and continues to act in the world. Um, so having having the story is a huge help and 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 gives. I mean that was my experience was uh, when I when I uh, became uh, when I began to become a friend of God and I wasn't a Christian at the time, um, when I discovered the New Testament and started discovering the scriptures, it just opened up so many doors for me where I, uh, sort of sort of like Fox in some ways, I read the scriptures and said, oh, this confirms the things I've been experiencing and further illuminates them and helps me understand them. Um, actually, you know, there's, um, there's one line in here that I, one sentence in here that I would like to read um, that is about the um, the the side of uh, ignoring the scriptures, and, and it says, um, you know, it's talking about people who ignore the scriptures. It says they they take what they think is the shortcut, which is actually the very long, circuitous, difficult, and dangerous route. Hmm. Which is an interesting way to put it, I think. It's like the person for for us for us computer programmers. It's like not reading the documentation. You might get there eventually, <laughs> but you you should read the docs. <laughs> RTFM noob. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. If uh, if you don't like swear words, don't Google that uh, that four letter acronym there. Okay. Just just saying. Um. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, how about we we'll go over to uh, the discussion questions. Sounds um, good. And actually, I think when we did the summary, we kind of just skipped straight to the part about the scriptures and I totally skipped over the part about George Fox at the beginning which it introduces the chapter with talking about how George Fox found that um you know as he was because he, he was a seeker he was trying to find answers and it wasn't working and he he wasn't getting answers from just rereading the same bits of the bible over and over and he wasn't getting any answers from the priests um and then you know he has his vision where he hears a voice tell him there is one even Christ Jesus that can speak to thy condition and um, so I suppose it's necessary to mention that before we read this first question, which um, talks about how generations of Quakers uh, said that the good news was God's power to save us. So why is the power the essential point rather than the scriptures? I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I have to admit I don't quite follow the question. Why is the power the essential point? Why, why is God's power the essential point for salvation rather than the scriptures being the essential point? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. If the, I don't know if this answers the question, but I think it's worth noting that um, the early church and Jesus' first disciples didn't have the New Testament. Right. Yeah, that's mentioned in here that that the people who are discussed in both the Old and New Testament didn't have the Old and New Testament. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, for the early for the early church, uh, when they talk about the scriptures, they're referring to the Old Testament. They're referring mm -hmm. to, the, to the Torah and and the and the writings and the prophets. Uh, and the law and the the Psalms, um, so yeah. So what what did it even look like? What did it look like for the early church to be without without the New Testament? I mean, they were they were kind of making it, except in the way that they were making the like in the way that they were making the epistles, because then the actual assembly of it doesn't happen for a couple hundred years anyway. And that, and that to me sort of points back, and, and not, not sure whether he's completely right or, or, or not, but I think that sort of points back to what, to what Terry was saying in terms of like the early church had the gospel even if they didn't have the scriptures. And they, they, right. they, they, yeah. were, they were embodying and retelling the story in an oral culture where if you, came in, if you came into contact with the early church, you could learn the story from them. Right, yeah, they were they were very much the um, the <laughs> which you know the nowadays we uh, make jokes about have you found Jesus right? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of that little comic where somebody's at the door saying have you found Jesus, and then in the person's living room you see the little sandals sticking out from underneath the curtains <laughs> because Jesus is playing hide and seek in their living room. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like this question is just is like super obvious because it's why is God's power the essential point, not the scriptures? Because the scriptures point to God to God's power. Right. Yeah, they're the they're the finger pointing at the moon, not the moon. Right. Good way of putting it. Um, the second question asks, when does our salvation begin? And I do not feel equipped to answer that. Wow. Um, yeah, that, I guess that, the, that's a pretty deep, that's a pretty deep esoteric <laughs> question. Yes, it is. Um, I guess maybe I 
could say when we start listening to the spirit. Um, so it, it actually isn't, I mean, I'm actually not sure quite why they're asking this question. However, um, it is it is a point of theological contention across Christian traditions. Um, you know, uh, for for many for many traditional Quakers, um, for for the, the the traditional Quaker answer is well salvation salvation begins whenever you start obeying, whenever you start listening and obeying to God, and you 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 are you are you are saved insofar as you are sanctified, meaning insofar as your life has been transformed by your relationship with God, and your and your life is coming into alignment with what God wants of you, um, it's to that extent that you are sa- are saved. Um, but there are other answers to this question. Um, for for many evangelical Christians, for example, um, the the answer is well, you're saved. You're saved when you um, make a decision to accept Christ as your as your Lord and Savior, and at that moment you you've just you've had a, a you've had a saving moment, and you, you are now saved. And while there's a process of of um, while there's a process of sanctification of changing your life. And becoming more more molded in the image of Christ, you from that point that you that you accepted Jesus, you're saved. So that's a more even right because they they have sanctification as a second work of grace. Cor- well, sort of, because uh, there's an additional perspective, right? There's an additional perspective. The holiness perspective sees uh, so just like the evangelicals see salvation, which which technically in technical theological terms what they call ju- justification, um, but. Uh, for evangelicals, for traditional evangelicals, uh, justification or salvation, so to speak, uh, comes in this moment, and then sanctification sort of happens over time afterwards, right? Um, now, for holiness Christians, so this would be like, um, uh, there's a whole holiness tradition. Like right? Church of God in Christ and... Yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think Pentecostals... But I suppose, have, I think Pente- yeah, Pentecostals I think, sounds I think right. Pentecostals, or at least many Pentecostals, have this tradition too, but there's this idea of a second work of grace, which is... Just as you are saved, or just as you are justified in one moment, you are also sanctified in one moment. So I actually, I actually had a there was there was a, a minister in uh, my the church that I was in as a child, the Quaker church in Wichita, Kansas, um, who as an adult uh, shared with me his his spiritual autobiography, and it and it included the day that he was sanctified. Um, as huh. as like an event in his spiritual life, and this and July twenty ninth, nineteen eighty seven. Basically, I was sanctified. Ba- basically, huh. yeah, yeah. And this is actually. Would like to note that was before I was born. <laughs> so I, I guess I'm I guess I'm taking us off the rails here a little bit. Um, but 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 the question was when do when are we saved? And and I and and I guess like it is a little bit it is a little bit more complicated than maybe. Well, we, specifically we asking about the salvation, not the sanctification part. Well, but traditional Quakers, and for that matter, I think a lot of traditional churches like the Eastern Orthodox, um, which we can, we'll probably get a chance to talk about this later, but Quakers and Eastern Orthodox are very, very different in some ways, but also have some striking similarities in our theology. Yeah. Um, but in any case, I think, I think traditional Quakers and Eastern Orthodox, and, and probably others too, um, have, have still another view of saying um, there's, there's, no, there's no specific moment um, where where like the lightning flashes and you're saved, but it's all a process. Um, it's all it's all mm-hmm. a matter of movement towards God or away from God. And so refu- refusing refusing to separate sanctification and justification. Mm-hmm. That sanctification is a process that begins with with salvation, but then uh, continues for the rest of your life. Well, kind of deal. well, no, that's the evangelical perspective. For traditional Quakers, 
and for as I understand it, I'm not an, I'm not an Eastern Orthodox, but as I understand it, for the Eastern Orthodox Church as well, um, the idea is that uh, sanctification and justification go hand in hand. So okay. So so justification would be a process along with sanctification. There, there's not like gotcha. there's not this moment where like okay it's taken care of and now we sort of have to do a mop up operation. It's like no like we are we are moving along the track towards holiness. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's look at the third one, which is written very long, um, <laughs> but. Um, so it says, while scriptures may not be termed absolutely essential to salvation, um, why should we still call them tremendously helpful? Um, a roadmap to help to avoid a host of problems and impediments to our spiritual lives and a key encouragement and guide in our quest for salvation. I mean, I think I, I, think I could answer this question in a number of ways. And one way I'd answer it is like, you know, one of the ways I'd, I'd like to think about the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, particularly the gospel accounts, um, is uh, that the scriptures are sort of like, you know, have you guys seen like, or have you guys, uh, has the it's audience? It's just me. Yeah, well, has the audience, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining our audience now and speaking to everybody. Um, have, have you have you seen the Shawshank Redemption? Um, uh, well, at the very, at the very. I'm, at I'm the, aware at, of it and the, I've at, seen some scenes. At the very, well, it doesn't matter. At the very end of the movie, um, he escapes. From, the main character escapes from prison, um, and he—they're uh, chasing him to try to track him down. And to try to track him down, they have his prison clothes, and they hold them out to the dogs. The dogs can smell them, so they can track him, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, like that, you know, that's what bloodhounds are for. You give them—you give them someone's like an article, someone's clothing or something. They get their scent, and they can track them. Um, and for me, I sort of feel like uh, you know, uh, the the scriptures are sort of like Jesus' clothes. Um, and they, you know, we can get a little bit of his smell off of them. Uh, we can start getting an idea of, of what Jesus, you know, the, the, that unique Jesus stink uh, that we need <laughs> to track him down. <laughs> Sorry, dude, I'm losing it. Yeah. I, well, I, I saw you were, so I just thought I'd push it. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, but looking at the scriptures as being like basically like Jesus' garments uh, or God, and, and God's garments, um, and, and but we become familiar with, with God through... Uh, these historical garments, um, and they, they they train us up in, in sort of recognizing his character, so that when we encounter him ourselves in real life, you know, in our in our present lived experience, um, we have an easier time recognizing him. So that's I mean that's one answer. Um, do you have an answer? Um, I mean I tend to be one of those people who looks more at the red letters than the rest. Um, I find it harder to, um, harder to necessarily separate the rest of the Bible from whatever context is specifically happening there. Um, I, like, I mean, when you're looking at like the epistles in the New Testament, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you're looking at one half of a conversation right. between Paul or somebody else and some church somewhere like 2,000 miles away from him. Right. And so you don't actually know what he what issue he's responding to when he's giving advice. So that can be a little harder to apply stuff, whereas um, generally when you're looking in the four Gospels at 
the things Jesus is saying, then Jesus is like, here, let me provide you some context and here's the thing, right? Or right. like, here's here's an entire parable all wrapped up in one thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely, I definitely dig on dig on the gospels, and and I, I think you're right that um, I, you know, I, I think, I think all, I think, I think, you know, the whole New Testament's precious, but um, I think our theology would probably be more sound if we were to just pay attention to the, to the four to the four gospel accounts for a while and really base our theology out of there, and then go and then go look look at the all the, all the letters and and and, and everything else uh, just in in light. Of the gospel accounts, that's my personal opinion, uh, but I, I think I think I think the church's theology would be transformed if we really really focused on the gospel accounts um, before we immediately jumped to like you know Romans or Ephesians uh, or, or or some of the letters because um, yeah that that's just that's just me me rattling off my own opinion there, but I do think that a lot of times um, some of the worst some of the worst and least faithful um, theological innovations. Come from finding come from finding passages um, in uh, in the letters and sort of letting those overshadow Jesus' teachings and Jesus' life. Yeah, I'd agree with that. That's I mean, a lot of the time when you see like um, I don't know like when you see you know some big name preacher making a public statement where you're going oh cringe why are you using the Bible that way. Mm -hmm. They're not using something from one of the four gospels. They're using something from one of the letters. Well, and no, and I mean, I'll tell you what. You know, you're in danger territory when they're justifying something based on like you know Joshua or Leviticus or something like that. Like then you're like way out in left field. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what's in Joshua, but I mean, Josh I have some idea of what's in Leviticus. Yeah, I mean, Joshua's <laughs> a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of genocide stuff. Um, oh okay. But apparently, Judges is full of a bunch of Judges. Junk is, too. Judges is so awesome. Judges is so awesome. It's so <laughs> okay, cool. so um, hey, listeners, if you have some interest in um, finding out more of what the hell is in the Bible, so there's this other podcast. It's called Two Feminists Annotate the Bible, and I've been listening to it as they've recently been going through the Book of Judges, and um, that's been interesting. That's the one that has Samson and Delilah. If you happen to remember learning about Samson as like a small child in uh, Sunday school or something like that. Now, Samson's the one who brought back like like what like five hundred foreskins for his bride or something like that. <laughs> I I I don't know. <laughs> I love I love judges. Judges is amazing. Samson's the one who's like who uh, his mother like takes a Nazarene vow for him, and so right. then he can't cut the hair and. Right. Um, he's super. He's super strong. He's like He Man. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, uh, he tells Delilah about his secret with not being like that. His his strength is all from his hair. Right. And like apparently, he tells her this after she has been like super conniving and like really, really mean to him and doing everything she can to screw him yeah, over very, for like a long time. A and you're like, why? Guy. Why would you do that? He wasn't a very wise guy. But I'll tell you what. You, you know, I mean, I think I think this conversation just changed my mind. I think that Judges, the Book of Judges, is essential, <laughs> essential for salvation. Because how, how can you live your life without Judges? I mean, that that book's amazing. <laughs> Right. Well, anyway, it's a Two Feminists Annotate the Bible is a cool podcast, and I totally recommend try, checking it out. Uh, what they were saying that they were finding as, and they were going through like judges a couple chapters at a time, and they were saying that it's pretty much a whole bunch of, and this is what happens when you don't have a monarch. And this is why the Israelites eventually go, God, can we have a monarch again? And then I guess that's when you get King David. Uh, well, I'm first, not sure. For, for, this might be for, a spoiler. For, for, Does King David for, come after that? For, for, well, the first king is Saul. 
and then Saul goes crazy, and then King, then David becomes king, and then Solomon. Okay. Oh, Solomon's supposed to be the good one. Solomon's the one with the like the cut the baby in half thing, right? Yeah, Solomon was very wise because he asked for wisdom, so God gave. Which him I should note well. that he does not actually cut a baby in half. For anyone not familiar with that story. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we got any? We got, you, we, we got other questions here. Uh, there's one more that says, what particular impediments do you see to your spiritual search for salvation if we lack any knowledge of the scriptures? Um, well, one, one thing I do want to say here is that, like, uh, a, a, phrase, a phrase that I've heard about Quakers is that, is that I've, I've heard it said that Quakers are historically ungrateful. And I think, and I think that uh, something that, it, that is a weakness in Quakerism uh, and, 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 and a weakness in, in, in Protestantism, in, in, the non, in the non-liturgical church, honestly, um, is a lack of appreciation of how much history really does matter and how much it really does matter. It really matters that Jesus uh, was born in Galilee. It really matters that he taught and he went around and, and healed people and spoke to people and had disciples. It really matters that he died on the cross and it really matters that he rose from the dead. And these things happen in history. And, and it really matters that the early church experienced these things and passed these teachings on to us. So as, 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 as glorious as the Holy Spirit is and as much as we, mu- as much as we must rely on her for everything, we, 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 we also are so indebted to uh, all of these historical events that have led us to this moment, and really, we can't understand our salvation apart from this historical, this historical story of salvation that we are a part of now. You know, when you started saying that, um, okay, I forgot what the adjective you used was now, but the thing about us not appreciating history, um, it actually <laughs> reminded me of. Um, so, a friend of ours is finishing up their dissertation on Quakerism, and or not. Yeah, this PhD dissertation, and um, I helped review a chapter, and one thing that they mentioned in there was um, that um, progressive revelation versus continuing revelation as like a distinction, mm. and how progressive revelation um, involves abrogation, involves saying the current thing is more correct than the past thing every time. And, and that really, I think, just kind of clicked in with what you just said about not appreciating history because, um, well, whatever we feel like is coming from the Spirit now overrides whatever is in the Bible because the Bible is older. Um, and this kind of fits into last time's uh, discussion when we were talking about continuing revelation, but um, right. you sort of just brought it back into the fore. <laughs> still, still relevant. It keeps being relevant. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that is a point about... about um, at least in liberal Quakerism, um, not having much appreciation for the past. And, you know, I've heard some people say that that's, um, okay, I should say, I've heard some people in Ohio yearly meeting, um, <laughs> I think it was, or, well, somebody formerly of Ohio yearly meeting, anyway, whatever, a conservative friend, say, um, that, um, that it's uh, an arrogance, um, that it's to, to say that, um, we now are, um, more enlightened, know better, are spiritually better than the people who came before us automatically by dint of being later. I do want to point out, I, I agree. I, I think that's true. But I do want to point out that as Quakers, we belong to a spiritual tradition that emerged out of telling everyone else they were stupid and that for the last <laughs> 1,700 years, people have been in apostasy. So, I mean, yeah, the, 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 the origin of the Quaker movement is saying, hey, you know the last, like, 1500 years of church history that was all basically antichrist 
<laughs> yeah, that that yeah that that happened. Um, I think that's pretty much what happened with all of Protestantism. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. We yeah we and and you know I, I. There's a debate for those who aren't aware. There's a debate among Quakers of whether Quakers are a Protestant group or whether we're something else. I would personally say we're something else. However. Because we're such a tiny group, and for the purposes of simplicity, we are effectively a Protestant group because we, 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 we broke away with, from the Western, from the Catholic Church with the well, Western we Church, broke, and then see, we broke the, off from the, those folks. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the thing I always say is, but we protested against the Protestants. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, basically Quakers were, were Puritans who thought the Puritans weren't pure enough for them. Oh, I always like saying that we're not Puritans because Puritans were those jerks that tried to hang us. Well, that did that hang, did hang, hang us Quakers in yeah. in Massachusetts. No, I remember, <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah. Basically, the Puritans wanted to purify the Church of England. Quakers wanted to purify the Puritans. Okay, that that's the way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've see I've seen the argument about us not being Protestants uh, based on how we set up the okay. I've always thought of it as the three-legged stool of tradition, scripture, and now I've Holy Ghost power. Guess, yeah. Um, except apparently the... Reason? Um, yeah, that's the one. That's um, the the Wesley with the Methodists. They, they, well, they got the put in a fourth. They have, yeah, yeah. Yes, they, they have the quadrilateral because they also have reason in there, whereas I had always thought of it as the three-legged stool. Um, <laughs> but that, that we don't fall into Protestant because um, we... Because Protestant, well is mostly overrun by those reformed folks with the sola scriptura, you know, the, the scripture only thing, or sorry, sorry, sola scriptura, sola feed, the, um, so only the Bible and only by faith. And so the fact that we do have some tradition in there as being an important thing and also have a whole bunch of Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost power, Mm -hmm. um, with like balancing against scripture, uh, makes us very different from, um, other Protestant churches, and obviously there are a whole bunch of liberal Quakers who would say, of course we can't be a Protestant Christian denomination, because some of us aren't Christians. Um, which is always a fun discussion to have. Liberal Quakerism is definitely not Protestant. <laughs> I think that is fair. Whereas, whereas, um, Although evangel- whereas evangelical Quakerism, it pretty de- darn is, is Protestantism. Definitely is. Um, though, strangely enough, I would say that much of liberal Quakerism, particularly on the East Coast, is not Protestant, but it is mainline. Okay. You mean, like, culturally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, definitely culturally mainline. It fits with the mainline. It's a part of that stream. Yeah. I, I mean, I was reading, um... Or I took a see now see we are completely off topic now but whatever um, <laughs> I took this <laughs> I took this class this digital ministry class um, at Virginia Theological Seminary back in January it was just a week long thing and um, one of the books they had us read well we had to read some passages from but I picked up a copy of it it was called Speaking Faithfully and like at the beginning it's talking about how in main and it's written by I think an, Oh, I don't know which denomination. I think there's an Episcopalian, and I forget the other person's denomination. Um, but they're saying, like, in Mainline, we have a lot of hesitancy about speaking, you know, with speaking about our faith to other people. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Familiar. <laughs> All right, anyway, we should we should stop um, prattling. And, but so we, ba- uh, we, basically, we basically agree with the authors here that uh, 
the scriptures are not strictly essential, but are extremely useful, right? Yeah, um, but with the note that that's uh, the two of us agreeing sure. with that, and, and that the spectrum of Quakerism really does cover a wide spectrum about that topic. Come on, Mackenzie. I thought we all agreed that whatever we whatever we decided on this podcast would be official Quaker doctrine across the board. I I think we're going to have a problem there. <laughs> all right. I will talk to you later. And um, for our listeners, um, a reminder that uh, the comment section is always open on the blog. We actually. Did you know we have some comments now, Micah? There was like six comments left on various posts. Um, and uh, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, etc. The uh, pre-recorded outro that I'm about to play will tell you where to find those. Bye! You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, on Twitter as Quaker Faith, on Facebook, and on iTunes. 